Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In the present age, while he's talking about this very important process that he calls leveling, in order to explain how it actually functions, he brings in another very closely connected idea, and it really is an abstraction, what he calls the spirit of leveling or the public. He says, for leveling really to take place, a phantom must first be raised, a monstrous abstraction an all-encompassing something that is nothing, a mirage, and this phantom is the public. So it's something that, you know, to use a famous phrase, is everywhere and nowhere. It has its own peculiar sort of, we might call it, parasitical being, and yet it's nothing. And so, you know, this sounds rather strange and paradoxical. How can something that isn't anything encompass everything, at least within the social world, and drive this process that Kierkegaard thinks is so absolutely essential and so dangerous. Well, there is this abstraction. And he tells us that only in a passionless but reflective age can this phantom develop. And he says, with the aid of the press, when the press itself becomes a phantom. Now, it's very important to take into account what he says next, in part because it would be very easy to say, oh, Kierkegaard, you're disregarding how important the public has been in the development of the public sphere and publicity and public opinion and all these things that have driven progress, or at least you can say, well, it's associated with this institution or these people. He tells us, okay, sure, there is no such thing as a public as he's calling it, in spirited, passionate, tumultuous times. Even when a people wants to actualize the idea of the barren desert, destroying and demoralizing everything. Why? Because there are parties and there is concretion. And he says, in such times, the press will take on the character of concretion in relation to the division. So, you know, if we think about our own times where, you know, the press is divided among all these different sort of orientations and factions, you could say that Fox News is not actually the public in the sense that Kierkegaard is talking about, nor would be MSNBC or a sort of left-wing publication like Jacobin none of these would actually be the public or the press as such as Kierkegaard is describing it. Instead, it's something that is, in some respect, more amorphous, more widespread. You could ask, well, what do all these actually share in common with each other in terms of assumptions? They may disagree about certain things, but perhaps there's some bedrock that they're all established upon. And he tells us that just as sedentary professionals are prone to fabricating fantastic illusions, so a sedentary reflective age devoid of passion will produce this phantom if the press is supposed to be the only thing, which, though weak itself, maintains a kind of life in this somnolescence. The public is the actual master of leveling. For where there is approximate leveling, something is doing the leveling. That is, when something is a concretion, he's talking about something, an institution, an organization, a class, that's doing the leveling. It's not yet the public. He says the public is a monstrous non-entity. So it develops with the aid of the press. The press can be phantom like it. And he tells us that 
you really can only have the public in modern times. And in some respect, you know, we think about the development of the public sphere as one of the key ideas of, or not key ideas, one of the key features of modernity, right? And so why couldn't the public develop in other times? Well, he tells us about antiquity. He says, when the people were obliged to come forward in the situation of the action, they had to come forward as a whole. They were obliged to bear the responsibility for what was done by individuals in their midst, while in turn the individual was obliged to be present in person as the one specifically involved. Only when there's no strong communal life to give substance to the concretion will the press create this abstraction, the public. He says, made up of unsubstantial individuals who are never united or never can be united in the simultaneity of any situation or organization, and yet are claimed to be a whole. Now think about all the times in which you've seen people within the press, in newspapers, in cable television, in opinion pieces, claim to speak on behalf of the people, the public what everybody knows. And they'll have like a few people that they've interviewed. I can tell you, having been interviewed many times, that quite often reporters will use just a snippet of what you say and often take it out of context to make it fit what they want to say. It's a disconcerting thing to happen to you the first couple times. After a while, you kind of get used to it. So you might want to, just a side note, if you're getting interviewed, say, you can't use me unless I get approval of what you're going to write or unless you're going to quote me in full, you, get, you don't get to quote me at all, right? Those are ways to try to counteract this. Now, that's something that becomes possible in modern, late modern, postmodern, whatever we want to call our times, and even more so because of the, the prevalence of what we call social media and the, the electronic network that we all live within now, or set, set of networks. But it was also going on in, in Kierkegaard's time as well. So he goes on and he tells us that the public is a core, that is a group of people ostensibly outnumbering all the people together, but this core can never be called up for inspection. Indeed, it cannot even have so much as a single representative. Why? Because it's an abstraction. At the same time, anybody can claim to speak for the public or put on a show for the public. He goes on a little bit later and says that a sailor demonstrating a peep show can, can claim a public, right? Now, of course, the public can turn against them as well. So that's one very important aspect. Another really key aspect of this is he says it includes everything, or at least it purports to do so, right? And he says that if the age is reflective, devoid of passion, obliterating everything that's concrete, public becomes the entity that is supposed to include everything. And he goes on a little bit later and talks about how when we have actual persons and when we have majorities and minorities that are arguing with each other, right, the person who's with actual persons in the contemporaneity of the actual moment and the actual situation, but has no opinion himself, adopts the same opinion as the majority, or if he's more argumentative as the minority. He says both the majority and the minority are actual human beings, and so you can have solidarity with them. But the public is an abstraction. He says, in adopting the same opinion as these or those particular persons, you're taking on a kind of risk. If they are wrong, you're wrong, right? But the public is never wrong. He says, the public is a phantom that does not allow any personal approach. If someone adopts the opinion of the public today and tomorrow is hissed and booed for taking on that opinion of the public, he is hissed and booed 
by the public. A generation, a nation, a general assembly, a community, a man can have a responsibility to be something, can know shame, but a public remains the public. He says the public can become the very opposite and is still the same. So the public in a certain way is this amorphous abstraction, ambiguous abstraction. It can become whatever it wants to be, right? It can change into its opposite and yet remain the same. There's a, again, a paradoxicality to that. He also talks about another really important feature. It's an abstraction that, as he says, alienates individuals instead of helping them. And that's a, a strange thing to say, isn't it? He also talks about it as, in a certain respect, educating them, as telling them what they ought to think, how they ought to be. And education here should be understood not just in the sense of imparting information, but in terms of shaping, in terms of building, in terms of orienting people to be a certain way, including to value what it is that the public has to say. Another key aspect of this, he talks about, well, how do individuals actually get into this? And he talks about nobodies. So he says that the public is not a people, not a, not a generation, not one's age, not a congregation, not some particular persons. These are concretions. And then he says, yes, not a single one of these who belong to a public is essentially engaged in any way. For a few hours of the day, he is perhaps part of the public. That is during the hours when he is a nobody. Because during the hours in which he is the specific person he is, center of agency, responsibility, accountability, right? He doesn't belong to the public. Composed of some ones such as these, of individuals in the moments when they are nobodies, the public is a kind of colossal something, an abstract void and vacuum that is all and nothing. So it is, in a certain sense, parasitic. You can't have a public without having people and having individuals. But those individuals can each of them not necessarily totally give up and put aside their individuality, but operate within the mode of being nobody, being just part of the public, at least some of the time. And, you know, Kierkegaard is not saying that this is avoidable for, for any of us altogether. Maybe there's some points in time where we all in late modernity will be part of this vast network that is the public. But he is saying it doesn't have to be like that all the time. And so, you know, he goes on and he tells us that in our time, in this state of indolent laxity, more and more individuals will aspire to be nobodies in order to become the public. The sluggish crowd, which understands nothing itself and is unwilling to do anything, that gallery public now seeks to be entertained and indulges in the notion that Everything anyone does is done so that it may have something to gossip about. There is a, a deformation of the mind that is brought about by valuing the public and wanting to be connected with it, to be associated with it. Even those who would claim to rule the public, to be the tastemakers, the opinion formers, or whatever we want to call them, thought leaders are a great example, really are a danger for just getting sucked into this public and essentially functioning as nobodies, even when they claim to represent it. So this is, this is another key aspect of it. We can desire to become nobodies so as to fit ourselves into the public. 
He finishes with his discussion of the public by saying we could imagine it to be sort of like those old Roman emperors who, you know, they got to figure out what to do with the day. We're not talking about dynamic Roman emperors who are defending the borders from barbarian hordes or whatever, you know, any of that sort of stuff. He's talking about the fat old guy sitting around having grapes put into his mouth and wondering what to do now with his time. And he talks about this kind of person and the public is like this as being more sluggish than evil being more indolent, and also craving entertainment, craving something new. It's driven by a curiosity, by variety, uh, a need to see something happen, and perhaps also by a sort of cruelty. And here's where he brings himself into the story a little bit. If you don't know, Søren Kierkegaard got made fun of quite a bit by the press in his own time. And he's got this discussion about the dog as being sort of, well, he calls it the contemptible part of the literary world. And then he says, if a superior person shows up, perhaps even a man of distinction, the dog is goaded to attack him. The dog goes after him and then the, until the public gets tired of it and says, that's enough now. So the public does its leveling. The superior one has been mistreated and the dog remains a dog that even the public holds in contempt. In this way, the leveling has been done by a third party. The public of nothingness has leveled through a third party that in and through its contemptibleness was already more than leveled and less than nothing. And he says the public is unrepentant because the public didn't do it. The dog did it, right? Just as he says in households, somebody knocks over something. Oh, the cat did it, right? Right. (laughs) Poor cats get blamed for all these sorts of things. And so this is another place where if we get away from Kierkegaard himself and we think about what he's talking about here, the things that are concretions, that are still driven by associations of individuals can become part of this process of leveling in what they're doing for the public. You know, when somebody is essentially torn down within today's media, although of course today's media is quite polarized, this process of leveling is is taking place in the way that Kierkegaard is describing it. So the process of leveling in the present age is, you know, in fact, being driven by and taking place through the medium of this abstraction, which is, you know, you might say living rent-free in all of our heads and hearts if we allow it to, the public and its closely associated phantom of the press. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.